We're in uh, Proverbs tonight. Proverbs, because I think, you know, not enough of you get enough of Proverbs on Wednesdays, especially. And if you don't come on Wednesdays, you miss out entirely on my lifetime work. I'm going to take my lifetime doing. I'm going through the book of Proverbs. But we're going to look at Proverbs 11 and verse 30. Um, and uh, I'm doing my by request series uh, that's going to take us through the end of 2023. That's hard to think of here in, well, it's May already. Uh, that means we're just like a few weeks away from the halfway point on the year. Um, but anyway, I don't mean to rush anything. But uh, one of the requests I received was from a series I did back in 2010. I can't believe it was that long ago, um, but on fruitful Christianity. And tonight I want to preach on the fruit of the righteous. I'll preach a few messages on uh, fruitful Christianity, probably about three altogether, maybe four. Uh, But tonight, Proverbs 11 and verse 30, the fruit of the righteous. The text is very simple and well known to us. Proverbs 11 and verse 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you've given us these nuggets of wisdom that really are a treasure to us. And uh, I pray that as we desire to be wise, that we would look to the wisdom you've given us, the practical wisdom in the book of Proverbs, and that we would strive to be wise the way that you've laid out for us in your word. I pray that uh, we would enjoy the time in the word tonight that especially we would, every one of us, uh, desire to be fruitful and would look to the things that make us fruitful uh, so that we uh, will have something to show in the last day. And uh, please help me, Lord, as I open the word to your people. I pray that I'd be able to deal honestly and uh, completely with the word, the text, that's before us tonight, and that we would know what to do when we hear it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's only one, of course, that can be truly called the righteous. Uh, Only one who is righteous. Uh, And I trust that we'll never lose sight of him, that one. Um, That we'll never become so consumed with seeing ourselves that we forget the one who is indeed righteous. His fruit truly is a tree of life. Any fruit that might be produced in us will be produced imperfectly, but in him is found completely and perfectly there. The fruit that we might bear is not natural to us, but it is natural To him, we are entirely dependent on Christ for any fruitfulness in our lives. But Christ is not, of course, is not in any way dependent on anything outside of himself as a source of his fruitfulness. It's he is the root. There is nothing for him to tap into other than himself and all of his nourishment, all of all of the um, substance that he turns to fruitfulness comes 
from himself. He is an exhaustive, never-ending supply of sap, of nutrient that he is able to convert into fruit. If we're to bear fruit at all, it can only be through our connection to Jesus Christ. Any fruitfulness that we experience comes as a result of our attachment to Jesus Christ and our abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. But we cannot deny that this proverb is speaking of men when it says that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Clearly, this is not just a proverb to exalt the Savior. It is a proverb for us. It's practical wisdom for you and for me as well. When we win souls, God is the one at work and we are his instruments to channel a blessing, uh, the instruments for the help of others. By abiding in Christ, we become like him. Jesus Christ said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. When we preach the gospel, we are preaching Christ crucified, which is what draws men to salvation. So we abide in Christ and in by, by abiding in Christ, we become like Christ because the life that is in Jesus Christ is flowing through us as well. It is therefore just as his life is flowing through us, his righteousness also is making us righteous. Not that we are passive when it comes to righteousness, that we just passively receive this righteousness, we just somehow become more and more righteous, but that, and we've talked before about the difference between imputed righteousness which is the righteousness of Christ that's applied to our account and for which we are justified, declared not guilty, official declaration of innocence by God. Not that we are innocent, but that we are made righteous in Christ, justifying us, setting us right towards God, reconciling us to God so that we can have peace with Him. But then after that imputed righteousness, comes what we call imparted righteousness, where we learn to live godly in Christ Jesus, where we learn to be righteous as Christ is righteous. So His righteousness makes us righteous in an official declaration, which is what our salvation consists of, justification. But then also His righteousness teaches us to be righteous And as Paul said in Philippians 3 and verse 5, his desire was to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Jesus taught us that he is the vine and that we are the branches. And by means of our abiding attachment to Jesus Christ, we bring forth much fruit. And this fruit of the righteous, we're told right here in this proverb in our text, this fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. 
By His grace, then, God enables us to become miniature images of our Lord Jesus Christ. Fruitful Christianity, then, is not the product of extreme exertion to be fruitful, not extreme straining towards fruitfulness. We don't, in fact, make ourselves fruitful, or I should say, we don't make ourselves fruitful independently of God, autonomously from God. But as Philippians 1 and verse 11 says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. If you have studied nature, science at all, and trees, if you know anything about trees and fruit trees, you know that God has in, has created them with these really unique, uh, it's an amazing thing, the xylem and phloem um, that moves the sap from the from the roots up through like like straws, really that run inside of the bark and sometimes are part of the bark that feed the tree and feed the branches so that the leaves grow and are green. And of course, the leaves then catch the sun and bring it down uh, into that um, factory inside and produce really what is the life of the tree. But with fruit trees, what's unique with fruit trees is that the, uh, the, the excess, the surplus that's produced by photosynthesis, um, the sun and the air and the dirt uh, is converted into life for the tree. And the tree produces so much of this life that there's a surplus and the surplus goes into little storage units, which we call fruit. So the fruit really is the excess of the life of the tree. The, the, what the tree doesn't need, it turns to fruit, and that fruit feeds people. It's an amazing thing. That's why uh, we ought to pay more attention to the natural world and notice more of what God is doing. And God is talking about this fruitfulness here and comparing it in our lives. It really... So there's a kind of Christian living, if you will, that is barely eking by, barely surviving, that's just constantly in survival mode, like living on your deathbed. Like the way I picture these um, kids nowadays, and I mean, I'm 50, so I'm going to start saying kids nowadays. Over and over, because it—it's what happens when you get, you know, past the tipping point, and you're on the other side, you know, the downhill side of the hill. <clears throat> and uh, so these kids nowadays that that eat potato chips and and play video games uh, day and night, right? And and then when they hit their you know thirties, they look like they're fifty, and they creak and moan and groan like they're 50. Well, okay, not like every 50-year-old, but like some 50-year-olds, 
do and the crickety and, you know, and they're just live on their deathbed, constantly on their deathbed. They barely have enough energy to prop themselves up on an elbow and grip the joystick, right, <clears throat> for their game. And uh, please, when you bring me the Doritos, pour them in a bowl because I can barely reach my hand into the jar, into the, into the bag, right? Because chips don't come in jars. But anyway. <clears throat> and they live this, I mean, just barely, barely scraping by surviving. That's how much life they have in them. And when you see, you know, you see a tree and it has almost no fruit. Uh, it's a fruit tree, but the fruit is small and undersized and it doesn't ripen ever. Right? Um, that's, that's a tree that's barely surviving. And there are many Christians who are living that bare survival. But when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, <clears throat> when you are just overflowing, brimming over with the life that is in Christ Jesus, then you will be fruitful. That's what the Bible is saying. And that, that fruit feeds others. It becomes such a, a you know, your, picture those, a well cared for orchard where the branches are just weighed down with ripe fruit that just falls off in your hands. I love to go up to, um, on 89, up towards Brigham, Willard, Perry, that area, where all the orchards are, and get the fruit. And I, I love uh, the Golden Delicious apples. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, there are probably other apples that are good eating. I'm sure you can tell me some. But I like the tried and true. I just, if I go, we went to a burger place the other day, and when I go to a burger place, I always get the same burger. Why would I try something else when I know what I like and I'm paying money for it? Why take the chance on wasting the money? And the same thing when I buy that golden, delicious, big, you know, a bushel basket full, and, they, and we take them home, and they're so sweet and well-named because they're delicious. And it feeds me every day. My wife cuts me up an apple every day. Little bitty pieces, so I can eat it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess I set myself up for that one, but but this is what God wants you to be. He wants you to share so much of His life that the surplus feeds others. It goes with what Jesus said. Um, about faith in him, that if you believe in him, he that believeth on me, he said, as the scriptures say, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. <clears throat> this is what he wants for you. To be so overflowing with his life that Others are fed and nourished by the surplus. Hosea said, I'm like the green fir tree. From me 
is thy fruit found. That's where the fruit of Christ is found in the life of the believer. Two verses before our text, verse 28, if you're still in Proverbs chapter 11, Solomon says that the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Now, let me say that that's the only way for the righteous to flourish is as a branch. <clears throat> a branch doesn't flourish by studying extra hard nor by doing enough curls and bench presses. A branch flourishes one way and one way only, and that is by its living connection to the tree. Sometimes a branch will wither and die while still on the tree. In fact, we have about a dozen fruit trees lining the back of our yard, and there was one that had this big, like two of them in fact, huge dead section on it up above that really dominated the tree. And in the first summer and fall, I, I trimmed it, but I didn't trim it right. And I didn't catch that. And I was, you know, it was the middle of winter actually when we trimmed it because I think that's when you're supposed to do it. I'm not positive, but, uh, but I think that is, that's when we did it anyway in February, March. And I couldn't see what, what was alive and what was dead and I didn't want to take a chance. But then... After last winter or last last summer, we knew which part was dead, and so I whacked it off. And this spring, um, the part I whacked off, and the tree has come to life. I cannot believe how two of them have come to life from whacking off that dead part. But that dead part was attached to the tree, but it was not sharing in the life of the tree. And there's a lot of that unfruitful Christians who are attached, but not sharing the life here. <clears throat> so, from my position of ignorance, I would guess that what happens with a dead branch is that it has a connection to the tree, but that's all. Not anything more than a connection, which is why, by the way, Jesus taught that it's to be whacked off and thrown in the fire there. The tree's sap must freely flow in the branch or else that branch cannot be fruitful. But when the sap flows through the branch, then the branch can flourish. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but, and here's the key, Christ liveth in me. That's the key to fruitfulness. Christ living in you, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is impossible for you to have a share in the life that is in Christ Jesus and to be barren and unfruitful. It cannot be. It cannot be, okay? Not, I'm not saying it must not be. I'm saying it cannot be. If you are barren and unfruitful in your Christian life, it is because you, though you are attached to the tree, the life of the tree is not flowing in you. You are not, Christ is not living in you. This is what Jesus said in John 15 verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. <clears throat> he that abideth in me and I in him, 
The same bringeth forth much fruit. He didn't say that you better abide in me or you won't bring forth fruit. He didn't say that. Abiding in Christ is not a command. It's not achieved by deeper devotion or some kind of mystical connection to Jesus Christ. Abiding in Christ is what happens when you're born again. You're attached to the tree and it is a living connection to the tree that you are given. And Jesus said, he that abideth in me, that is the born again believer, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. So Jesus is presenting one of two options. Either you are fruitful or you are destined for the fire. One or the other. So it's not fruitful. Christianity is not like the middle ground between born again and not born again. It's not. Not at all. Or it's not an extension beyond being born again. It is, in fact, the result of being born again, of that living connection to Christ being formed in your life. Are you made righteous in Christ? Well, then there will be fruit. There will be fruit. We should expect it. We should look for it. And if we don't see it, we should be concerned about it. Now think of the fruit of the righteous as the character and quality of his life. All those graces and virtues and holy affections and good works produced in us by our abiding connection to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this is the fruit of the righteous. And the fruit of the righteous, the Bible tells us, is a tree of life. That is to say, the fruit of the righteous gives life, supports life, sustains life. The fruit of the righteous is shareable. Others feed on it and are blessed. And so the Bible says it is a tree of life. Now, Hebrew poetry, as I remind you when we look at uh, Proverbs on Wednesdays, Hebrew poetry presents a rhyming of ideas as opposed to uh, English poetry, which is rhyming of words. Um, now, there's also a, a parallelism in the, the, the ideas um, and a consistent idea throughout a poem. But in Hebrew poetry in particular, the rhymes are in the ideas. And in this proverb, we have an example of synthetic parallelism. Here's the technicality of a proverb here. The parallelism means that you have one clause at the beginning and a second clause at the end. And the second clause extends the meaning of the first and completes that meaning so that you get the complete picture by considering the entirety of the proverb. So the proverb gives us the complete idea of the true end of fruitful Christianity. What begins on the inside bears fruit on the outside. And I want to divide the message along those lines. Seeing first the internal work that produces fruit, and then secondly, the external result of that work. 
So we start with the fruit of the righteous, the internal fruit. And let me begin with just some general statements about this fruit. The fruit of the righteous is produced by the sap. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible that no one ever, ever gives credence to is the verse that says the trees of the Lord are full of sap. And I love that because I look around here and I see a lot of people who are full of sap. This is a wonderful thing. I'm full of sap, too. And um, so and this is not an insult either. This is a blessing. This is a good thing. All right. In fact, our theme for camp this year has to do with um, trees and wood and woodsmen. And I suggested to the other pastors that we should have that verse on our T-shirt. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. They didn't like the idea. (laughs) So I got shot down anyway. The point is that the life of Jesus Christ is flowing through us. I think we understand that only Christ can make us fruitful as Christians. If you try to be everything that a good Christian is supposed to be, that won't necessarily produce good fruit in you. It's not. So in other words, this is the thing about fruitful Christianity. It is not a fake it till you make it proposition. Not at all. You can't. You can't make it happen from the outside in. You can't do that. You can't import fruitfulness. I don't say that to discourage you. And I certainly would not imply at all. I would not want you to walk away thinking, well, pastor says that you shouldn't even try. No, of course you should try. You should always strive to live godly in Christ Jesus. Just that we don't rely on our efforts. We don't rely on our efforts to be everything that we should be. No branch can produce fruit just by straining in just the right way. It is by the mysterious, invisible, and internal working of God through His Holy Spirit, by His grace, through the power of Christ, that makes a Christian fruitful. Secondly, this fruit comes from the life inside us and works its way out. We don't become fruitful Christians the way people decorate a tree at Christmas time. You hang the bulbs on the tree, but you don't hang the apples on an apple tree or the peaches on a peach tree or a pear, the pears on the pear tree. Christians don't get to hang ornaments and little balls all over the tree and count that as fruitfulness. The fruit of the righteous is not hung on us. It is not attached to us. It grows out of us. Even right now, we're watching the trees. You're probably seeing the same thing as that tree right out in the front there. Um, has it flowered and really beautiful. And then it produces a little... But, but it started... Back when things started warming up, even before that, because we got lots of winter after it started warming up, and you see that little, like a little ball on the end of each little twig, and you know that it's it's poised and ready to come back to life there. That's the idea here. It's important to note this because Quite often, Christians try to look a certain way on the outside, try to sound a certain way. I'm not just talking about clothing and haircuts here. I'm talking about 
attitude, demeanor, <clears throat> behavior. We want to be seen as pious. Of course, I mean, nobody goes to church in order to try to impress people with how bad or ornery or wicked they can be. At least I hope they wouldn't. But we tend to put on, or we can sometimes put on, pious airs. This is not fruitfulness. Because fruitfulness is not put on. Fruitfulness grows out of us. A third general observation is this. <clears throat> Fruit is the natural product of our shared life in Jesus Christ. I know that I've said this, but let's consider a couple things. Fruit is not forced. It's not an act. We don't need to produce it. It's being produced in, a, in us by Christ. It is not natural to us as men. The works of the flesh are natural to us as men. <clears throat> but for those who have been born again, the fruit of the righteous is natural because it is the natural result of our connection to Jesus Christ, our living connection to Jesus Christ. It's with a with a healthy apple tree, the apple tree can't restrain, can't hold back the growth of of the fruit. Can't do it. Now wild olive trees produce wild olives by nature. But the Bible teaches a really interesting thing and it's true in the natural world that if you clip off a certain way a wild olive branch and you attach it to a healthy olive tree, the wild branch will become what the tree is. The tree doesn't become what the branch is. The branch becomes what the tree is. And that's because the sap of the olive tree is living through that grafted in branch. And this is not to downplay the miraculous or the supernatural element in it, but this is natural. This is how God made the world. God does this by design, naturally. The fourth thing to point out to you is that this idea is strengthened by the fact that fruit is being produced in us, being produced in us. Fruit is a product, not a creation. It's not created by us. It is, if it's created at all, it's created in us. It's produced in us. It's natural in the sense that God naturally produces it. Uh, <clears throat> he designed Christians to be fruitful. He designed us to be fruitful branches. Just as the sap from the apple tree naturally produces apples, so the life of Christ that is in us naturally produces fruit through us. The apples, again, not hung on the tree, but produced inside the tree and grow out of the tree. So, <clears throat> this is where we have to pause for a minute and just think about the practical implications of what I'm saying here. And the first question we should ask is 
What would be the purpose? What possible good could come from trying to trick the church? Trying to fool people into thinking that you are dedicated to Christ when in reality you're not. That won't produce any fruit in you, and it is the fruit that Jesus said is the test. By their fruits, ye shall know them. So what would be the purpose of insincerity as a, as a believer? What would be the purpose of faking it as a believer? What good would that do? Shouldn't you be concerned if you are not what you should be, and especially if you're not seeing fruit in your life, should you not be concerned about that? And if you aren't what you ought to be, shouldn't you turn your attention to becoming what you ought to be? Shouldn't that be the priority? Not convincing us that you are something when you are nothing, but in actually being what God intended for you to be. Really, we must stop trying to put on for others, put on errors, put on a show for others. But rather, our religion must be an outgrowth of, our, of what we really are in our innermost self. Here are two Christians, both saved at the same time. First one grows like wildfire, or so it seems. But really, it's because he has the character that's very much like a chameleon. He has learned to conform to what's around him. He naturally blends into the environment around him. This is a fear that we should have, all of us should have, with our children. Because they see, they admire, but they are not necessarily becoming that and it's very easy for them to blend in when they are not becoming that his growth will be very rapid in the beginning but he'll never grow beyond that 20 years later if he's still around he'll be about the same place that he was in the early days of christian growth and the second wants to be genuine in everything. Everything he is comes from the inside and works its way out. Now that is a Christian who will become fruitful and grow into something good. Now I want to make a few specific points about this fruit. And the first thing is that the fruit is seen in godly Christian character. The fruit of the righteous is seen in godly Christian character. The life of the fruitful Christian is consistent with one who's been purchased by Jesus Christ. He has put on Christ and he lives like it. The second specific thing I want to show you is that this fruit is seen in his godly Christian attitude. The attitude, by the way, when our kids were little, we read something that clued us in on this, that helped us with it. We were much more attentive to attitude than we were to action and behavior. Because attitude is far more a revealer of what is going on in the heart. The, the attitude of the believer, 
who is being, who is, who the life of Christ is living through. His attitude constantly puts on a display of Christian meekness, grace, courage, and love. The third specific thing is this. This fruit is seen in a wealth of good works and holy living. He truly gives out for others. He strives always to be pure. This fruit is not marked and marred by unholiness and unholy living. He's put off the old man with the affections and lusts. Now, Matthew Henry said their instructions, reproofs, examples, and prayers, their interest in heaven and their influence upon earth are like the fruits of that tree, precious and useful, contributing to the support and nourishment of the spiritual life of many. So in other words, by his attitude and by his actions, he is sustaining, helping, upholding other believers strengthening their hands in Jesus Christ. Charles Bridges said his influence, his prayers, his instruction, his example is a tree of life. Others go to him for wisdom, for help, for comfort, for encouragement. Now the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. There are many things that I'd love to say here, but I, I really want to get to the main point of the message. Those good works of the believer, which we call the fruit of the righteous, they become a tree of life, a source of blessing to the people around us. So Christ living in you gives you a certain demeanor, a certain graciousness, a certain wisdom that other people come to rely on and look to for help, for encouragement, for strength. And so Spurgeon said, the outward character is the fruit of the inner life. This outer life itself grows from a fruit into a tree, and as a tree it bears fruit in others to the praise and glory of God. Now, then the tree is a blessing. When the Bible says the fruit of the righteous is a a tree of life, it is speaking of this blessing that you are to others because of the life of Christ that is in you. The tree is a blessing, first of all, because it provides shade for comfort There's something about Christian maturity that's very comforting to those who are suffering. I don't say this um, in order to insult those who are younger uh, or who lack in Christian maturity, but a seasoned saint has something special to offer, like his shoulders are big and easy to lean on. They're, They're made to be a comfort for people. And that doesn't mean that a younger man couldn't offer, or a younger Christian couldn't offer some sort of shade. But if you would do this, you'll need to focus more attention 
on being a com- uh, less attention on being a comedian or an entertainer and more attention on grace and maturity. If all a guy can do is discuss sports and tell jokes and be the life of the party, you know, that's not the one I'm going to look to when my heart is breaking. And it's not that you should be a stick in the mud because no one's going to look to you either for comfort in that time of grief, but that there has to be, there has to be some spiritual maturity. The more a Christian grows in grace, the more of a comfort he can be to others. Others will gather underneath his shade and will be blessed there and find um, find relief from the heat of the sun. Also, the tree provides leaves for healing. Revelation 22 and verse 2 tells us this about the tree of life that is in, in heaven. That the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. A holy living and growing in grace and the fruits of the Spirit have this effect. They grow out of us and they enable us then to be a blessing to others. I have at times gone to Christians in a time of need and found them to be prickly and self-absorbed so that talking to them increased my burdens, didn't relieve my burdens. But there have been others who have been like that balm in Gilead. Now, <clears throat> if, I go, if I have a painful sore, I don't go to the salt shaker for relief. All right? Now, you might be salt, okay? And you might pride yourself on being salt. But then if you are salt, when someone is wounded, they are likely to avoid you. And that would be the reason. Because typically we don't like to pour salt into a wound, though I understand it can have some healing effect. But when I, you know, I've had sunburns in my life. You know, there are sunburns and then there are sunburns that blister. And I had once on the back of my calf, I had a blister about this long and it stuck out and um, it was bad. It was really bad and it took a long time to heal and when you have a really bad sunburn, um, there are certain things that will make it feel, soothe it. Aloe, for example, that will soothe it. <clears throat> the fruit of the righteous has this effect. And it's interesting because aloe actually comes from a plant. My wife has a couple of aloe plants around and she can squeeze the aloe right out of the, out of the leaves. They're kind of tubular and they have this in it, and uh, it's it's amazing the soothing effect of that. And the fruit of the righteous, the tree of life, that is the fruit of the righteous, uh, provides leaves for healing. Another thing is that this tree of life provides fruit for refreshment. Godly Christians have a strengthening effect on people around them. And you should desire for that to be the case in your life as well, to be a source of strength to others. There's a certain sweetness to them. And I don't mean that in any kind of effeminate way. 
But they're just refreshing to be around. You've been around Christians like that who just refreshed you when they walked in the room. Their cheerfulness, their bubbly spirit, their delight in the Lord, their interest in you that was refreshing to you. When we abound in fruitfulness, that will be the case. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And then the tree provides also seed for new life. Because you know that fruit contains the seed. And those seeds can be the seeds of life for a new convert as well. Now that's what I wanted to talk about. Speaking of the fruit growing out of us from the inside out, considering this fruit of the righteous from the inside. And now I want to consider the external results of this. And remember how I pointed out to you before that the parallelism of this proverb tells you that the full meaning of the proverb is found by adding the second clause to the first, the two together. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. So the the full meaning of the proverb says that when Christ is living through you, when his life is overflowing out of you in the form of fruitfulness, the result will be that you will be a winner of souls. The fruit makes us effective in winning souls. Now, when I was a kid, uh, really little, uh, we had a house in Winona Lake. My mom bought this house, and it just seemed like such a massive house to me, and this big white picket fence. And then one day my dad took my wife and I, after I was married, and drove us over there to Winona Lake, and we saw this house and it's little teeny yard that um, could fit. Probably this platform would be a little big for it. And a little teeny house. And uh, But in the back of the house, there was this bean tree. you ever seen the bean tree? I don't know what they call these trees. But they had these great big beans growing off of them. And I remember my sisters and I picking those beans and taking a bite of a bean. Now, you have to be like five years old or less to do something that stupid. I can still, to this day, all these centuries later, I can still remember the taste of that bean when I ate it. It was bitter and it burned and it tasted horrible and I couldn't get the taste out of my mouth. And nobody, nobody goes to that fruit And wants to eat it. At least not twice. But when you see lush, ripe, delicious apples hanging off the boughs of the tree. And you reach your hand out and it falls in your hand. Yeah, you keep going back to that tree. Right? That's the kind of tree to be. Don't be a bean tree. All right, be a good fruit tree. The sweetness of the fruit is what draws you, what attracts you. 
This fruit makes us effective. He that winneth souls is wise, or according to the Hebrew word order, the wise winneth souls. It's not because he's clever in his presentation. We shouldn't think that every time the Bible speaks of winning souls, it's it's talking about, you know, witnessing at the door, like the first time you've ever met a person, you're going to, man, they're just going to want to be saved. Like you're going to be like Charles Finney walking in the factory and they're all going to fall on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved? <clears throat> the Bible is, though, speaking here of our witness. It's speaking of our witness here and of the fact that when a Christian is full of good works, and lives a consistent life and is filled with the fruit of the Spirit, that this man will be an effective winner of souls. In a sense, yes, I am preaching lifestyle evangelism here, but I'll say this. When I was a teenager, lifestyle evangelism was preached against at least in fundamentalist types churches, kind of churches that I was part of. So it's like, all right, I'll say, you know, if I can be candid, the church I grew up in, there wasn't a whole lot of lifestyle evangelism going on because there were some pretty cruddy lives around me. And I'm not talking about people, you know, saved out of the miry clay. I'm talking about people who were still in the miry clay and trampling it all over the place. So yeah, I can understand why they would be preaching against lifestyle evangelism because it's really hard to evangelize that way if you're not living it. Obviously, there was an excess and an excessive reaction to some of the... um, I remember my dad having a conversation in which they talked about this just cold turkey talking to people. Like they thought that there was something wrong with that. They came from the neo-evangelical world. And the idea of confrontational evangelism was repugnant in that world. So the, the opposite was lifestyle evangelism. You just live in such a, good, such a way that men will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. But of course, the Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher, right? So there has to be both, both. And I'm saying to you that when we are living godly in Christ Jesus, the result of it will be that people will, they'll hate you, but they'll listen. They'll listen. They'll give you a hearing. Because they know that something is different. They know it. It's not that we let our lives simply do the preaching and we never say anything. Our lips must not be silent. The Bible actually identifies several things that are a tree of life. And it's interesting, one of the things that is a tree of life, according to Proverbs 15, verse 4, is a wholesome tongue that speaks forth the gospel, the good news of the gospel, and makes his praise glorious and declares his glory among the heathen. 
But when our life is right, it preaches louder than our lips and adds weight to our words. And the Bible is teaching here that the result of this imparted righteousness, the result of my living godly in Christ Jesus and his life working its way out of me and overflowing through me in the form of fruit is that souls are brought to salvation. Now, of course, this isn't in proportion to how fruitful you are, how much fruit, how many souls you win in proportion to how fruitful you are. In his parable of the sower, Jesus promised that the good seed would bear fruit and bring forth some in hundredfold, some 60, some 30. The word win, he that winneth souls, that word can be taken in several senses. You can think of it in terms of friendship. We win someone over to ourselves. We win a person to ourselves. We are winsome. You can think of it in terms of romance. You win her heart. You woo her and win her. You can think of it in terms of war. You win the battle. You overcome the enemy. You can think of it in terms of business. That we gain them the way a businessman gains wealth. But however you think of it, the Bible does teach that the wise are winners of souls. Christ living in us produces in us a fruitfulness that blesses those around us, that feeds the hungry soul, and that draws men to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteous man has a winsomeness about him that draws men to Christ. He woos, in a sense, he draws men the way Christ does, with cords of men, with bands of love, the Bible, as the Bible says it. He overcomes the enemy, wins the battle for the soul of the one he reaches out to, and gains that soul for Jesus Christ. Now, what if we aren't winning souls to Christ? Because obviously, when the Bible talks about us being fruitful, it's not only speaking of winning souls. So it is possible that you are fruitful as a Christian and yet you are not a winner of souls. Now we talk about going out soul winning and the idea is that we would win souls to Jesus Christ. But of course we knock on a lot of doors and we don't win a lot of people to Jesus Christ. What does it mean? If we are not winning souls to Christ, does it mean that we must not be fruitful Christians? Is it is it the fault of the people we witness to? Is it their fault, their rejection of Christ? Is Christ not working in us and through us effectively? <clears throat> Certainly the answer could be any one of those. Three, it could be a combination of the three and probably is. Let me 
caution you to count things the way God counts them. I hate to say it this way, but I'm guilty of it myself. Thinking, well, I'm not a great winner of souls. I haven't seen a lot of people saved. And overlooking the most important people that God has entrusted to my care. And that is my own sons and daughters. Parents. Nothing. Nothing will play more directly as an outflow of your fruitfulness as a Christian than the salvation of your children. The most important people for you to win to Christ, your own family, your own children. Of course, we all also desire to be bringing people to a saving knowledge of Christ. We desire that. If we aren't bringing people to Christ, we should be concerned. But what do we do? Polish up the technique. Try to come up with some more, you know, powerful illustrations that we can use. Learn how to draw the net, as they would say in sales schools. What do we do? Do we need to go out and knock on more doors? Do we need to pray more fervently? Let's be concerned with the first things. Listen to Peter on this in 2 Peter chapter 1. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, listen, you might be partakers of the divine nature. Isn't that what we're talking about? The life of Christ living through me? Partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, listen to this, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, let's be honest, okay? Over the years, we've canvassed Ogden four times probably, completely, knocked on every door in Ogden, from Shadow Valley to North Street. We have knocked on every door in Washington Terrace. We have knocked on every door in South Ogden. We have knocked on every door in Roy. And, you know, we're, we're not quite to capacity here in our auditorium. And we desire to see people come to know Christ as Savior, do we not? We want God to... We want to... I pray... 
all the time. Lord, please let us have a part in the harvest. Let us have a share in the harvest. What do we do? Peter says, add to your faith virtue and a virtue knowledge and a knowledge temperance and a temperance patience and a patience brotherly kindness and a brotherly kindness charity. Because, he says, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. I've enjoyed meditating on the armor of God, dwelling on what the armor of God is and how it protects us. It's really fascinating to me because we don't think of it as practical and yet it's so practical because really what is my protection is my constantly going back to my relationship with God and making sure that my relationship with him is right. That's what protects me from sin, from the snares, the wiles of the devil. Now, get this, folks. That same thing is what makes us fruitful. Going back and ensuring that my relationship with Christ is vibrant and thriving that the word of God is dwelling in me richly. If you're concerned as I am that we see a harvest of souls brought to Christ, that's the answer. You know, I think that what we would normally hear, what we've heard, is that we need to pray for more power. Jesus said to the disciples, to tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And then he said, and you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That means we have the power already. The power to be witnesses. That's not what Christ says. Being a fruitful Christian has a particular effect on our ministry. The more fruitful we are, the more enabled we will be to win souls to Christ. So we've been told that the more powerful we are, the more souls we'll win. And so people have gone about trying to develop this persona and this personal power and this ability to really manipulate people into a decision for Christ. That's not winning souls. But the Bible teaches something very different from seeking power. It teaches us not to focus on personal power, but on fruitful Christianity. And the result will be that we will win souls to Christ. This is what Jesus said in John 15 and verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Let's then be attentive to our relationship, a fruitful relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, his living in us and through us.